Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we cover everything racing, and we've got a lot of news to cover tonight, so before we uh, get into that, let me introduce you to the panel I have tonight. Uh, first off... From Richard Children's Racing, I have Mr. Gray Warren and Mr. Richard Uden. How are you fellas doing tonight? Excellent. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, we're good, thank you. All yeah, right. Yeah, we're all good here. And from Motorsports Tribune, Mr. Joey Barnes and Mr. Seth Eggert are both in the house. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. Doing well good. now. <laughs> Joey. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, folks. Uh, Joey's typing me nasty messages here, so... Either way, so uh, U.S. Formula One Grand Prix uh, in Austin held this past weekend. Joey, you were there. Uh, Lewis Hamilton won the race, but he fell uh, a little bit short in his quest to clinch the title, although that only, it seems like, pretty much a done deal now. Um, Verstappen gave him, a, or I'm sorry, Vettel rather gave him a pretty good run for his money. Uh, a little bit of controversy at the end of the race there surrounding Mr. Max for stopping. Uh, but uh, now, Joey, uh, you were out there at the racetrack this weekend. So uh, go ahead, take us through the U.S. Grand Prix. Yeah, so the race was the race weekend as a whole was amazing, honestly, uh, from Michael Buffer, given the uh, the lead up there with the pre-race was pretty fun. Usain Bolt out, Lewis Hamilton scaring the hell out of him was awesome to see. Um, but Lewis Hamilton took the win, becomes the winningest driver for the U.S. Grand Prix, passing Michael Schumacher and Ayrton Senna. So that's certainly kind of unique. Uh, Hamilton obviously has owned this place. Now this is his fifth win in six races at the Circuit of the Americas. I, for the life of me, I can't think of how many he won whenever it was at Indy. I think he got two there, um, maybe three. But, um, you know, Hamilton beats Vettel and Raikkonen. Verstappen, as you alluded to with the controversy, that was your top four. Valtteri Bottas couldn't get out of his own way, it seemed like. Ends up fifth. Esteban Ocon, sixth. Carlos Sainz with the new Renault squad, uh, seventh. And then... Um, Sergio Perez, Felipe Massa, and Danny Cavat gets uh, gets uh, the rest of the top ten hanged out there. 
What's interesting about this race is maybe who didn't finish. And Danny Ricardo had a really good race going, was running up there in the top three, should have ended up on the podium most likely, and had an engine failure happen about midway through the race. It was a really crushing finish for him uh, because it also happens the same weekend that we heard about Verstappen signing a new deal. And essentially Christian Horner saying, I want to build a future around Max Verstappen. So a really crushing situation there. Ricardo has since kind of revealed that he's not going to necessarily play second fiddle to certain things. So good for him on that regard, but really rough. Um, I think what's interesting to note here is, um, and I think Richard, you can kind of probably allude to this is how impressive the runs were for both the Toro Rosso guys. Uh, Brendan Hartley making his first start starts at the back of the pack, ends up finishing 13th when all said and done. I know it's not in the points, but certainly with these cars, him not being in a single-seater in many, many years is a really good weekend for him. And Danny Cavat, these are his first points since Spain. So uh, before we get into like all the crazy stuff that's further up the grid, I kind of wanted to get your take on how you felt the Toro Rosso squad went because now we know that Cavat's out of the seat and Hartley's back for another go. And we've got uh, Pierre Gasly coming back. Uh, to run Mexico. So uh, Kavat's out, and those two are in leading, moving forward. But, I mean, what do you think of the overall weekend for those two guys? I think for those two, it was very impressive. Um, you know, as you say, for, for for the kid, you know, Brendan Hartley to come in, uh, you know, I think it's like seven years since he's been in a single-seater. Uh, Something you know, like in, that. Incredible. Um, you know, it also talks to the preparation for these guys as well. I mean, there was a tongue-in-cheek sort of comments that you know um helmet marker told him oh just turn up at the track and we'll get you in sort of thing um i'm sure he'd gone through the simulators and gone through testing and and and, and gone through all that sort of stuff so he'd been as well prepared as possible um on danny kvia i mean what more can you really do in that car and then get fired um yeah, it's it's like you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Kvyat in the world. I must admit, and I think he's probably proven that he's not really up to you know a top line uh, driving Formula One. But I mean, can you really ask much more from the guy? Um, and then he turns around and gets fired for the rest of the season. And, and interestingly, it's the third time he's been fired by the American by the, by the Red Bull um, group. Uh, which is it's pretty pretty poor. You thought he'd have uh, thought he'd have got the message by now. Um, the other thing that I, I think does need mentioning, and who suddenly was incredibly impressive but expected, was Carlos Sainz. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. wow, talk about like a duck to water. You know, that was uh, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it, he sat there and outpaced uh, Hulkenberg, his teammate, for, from here on out. Yeah. Uh, and in all of Friday practice, both Friday practices, obviously on on Saturday with qualifying and and uh, F three, it was a different story. But in there all day, ran solidly, was always in the points, didn't kind of get out of it. Um, so certainly impressive, especially with the fact that he also moved Renault despite Hulkenberg's uh, failure there to to finish in the points. Actually, failure to finish altogether. He was the first retirement of the race. They've moved back ahead of Haas in the constructors' championship, which. You know, Haas American team failed to get double points for this uh, for this race. So on home soil, they don't do the job. So their only thing to merit for the entire uh, their entire existence on American soil is the tenth place from last year with Grosjean. So that's interesting. Uh, you yeah. know, 
it's very about... much hit and miss. Very much hit and miss with Haas at the moment, isn't it? I mean, one weekend you you look at them and the world beaters, and then the next minute they're um, you know also runs. It's a very 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 strange. Yeah, I, but yeah. I, I tell you, he was the last car Saints was to finish on the lead lap. He was even though he was ninety two seconds back, which wasn't obviously much farther from being lapped. I think that's certainly that's impressive from Renault as a whole. As a whole, and you think about it, you know. He, he was right there in between the two Force Indias. I know that Perez was pretty, sounded like he was pretty pissed off over the team radio because he's over here wanting to run Ocon, saying he's faster, crying he's faster. And a uh, yeah. team comes over the radio and says, Ocon's managing it. And next thing you know, Saints gives up the, the or yeah, Saints ends up getting a position on Perez. So I'm interested to see that dynamic moving forward since both Ocon and Perez are pretty much squared away at Force India moving forward. I think I think Saints is only going to get better from here, as will Renault. Uh, yeah, it's going to it's going to be crushing if Saints gets a podium in this car before the year's <laughs> over, and and Hulkenberg is still staring at his O for streak. Um, so here's here's a here's a you know looking into the future. Here's here's a scenario. Saints is on loan at Renault, so next season going through two thousand and. Um, 18, you know, Saints is there with, with Hulkenberg. Saints outruns Hulkenberg, you know, who's highly rated throughout 18. The end of 18, Ricciardo moves to Ferrari to replace um, Raikkonen, who's probably going to retire at the end of next year, or at least leave. Um, I think he'd be 39. We've been, we've, been, we've been assuming that for a while, though. Well, yeah, that's very true. Three or four years now. But then Saints goes to uh, Red Bull to replace Ricciardo and he's, you've got the Verstappen Science team back together again. That is interesting. That and is interesting. Just, you know, you, you sort of think it almost like makes sense because especially with Ricciardo being a bit, well, hang on, I'm not going to play second fiddle here to Max. Um, you know, I know we're getting a little bit off the race last weekend, but, you know, the, the performance by Science was incredibly impressive and a lot of people have questioned, well, you know, Really, when Red Bull promoted Verstappen, was that the right kid for them to promote? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I say this, though, uh, before we get back on topic, is that Charles Leclerc may have something to say about that other Ferrari seat moving forward, certainly. Well, no, I agree. I think he's been incredibly impressive as well. There's a lot of really good young kids around, and there's not many seats to fill. Yeah, I, I tell you, somebody who wasn't so impressive, and, and I know he's got talent for days, but... I really, it was another weekend where Valtteri Bottas did not yeah. handle the job. And I mean, we saw him qualify well. And, you know, he's under fire turn one a couple of times from Ricardo and managed to fight that off, uh, which was really impressive to see that battle side by side through the S's was sensational. Uh, but, you know, he also came under fire from Raikkonen later on. And obviously Verstappen got him as well at the end. And so we just we didn't really see him try to attack anybody. He didn't attack anybody. I don't know if he you passed wonder, a car all day. but you, you wonder how this works within the organization of Mercedes. I mean, you've pretty much seen since the summer break, Verstappen has definitely dropped off and Hamilton's definitely raised his game. Now, you wonder how much that has been a political decision within the group to... Um, you know, to, to, to back one driver there... Um, I, I wonder I if know. it's just a maybe maybe there was a maybe there was a part of this. Hey, look, you know, Valtteri, we're going to give you a you know a, a contract extension, um, but as a caveat to that, you know, maybe for the remainder of the year, your you know, Lewis is going to get the 
the primary upgrades and you're going to get them later down the road. Yeah, see, I don't know about that because you look back a few races ago at Malaysia and he's the one that had the preferred upgrade package that just didn't quite work to the skill set of that car. Well, and then we saw Hamilton revert back yeah. to the old. So, I mean, I, when yeah, that, that's when when teams say upgrade package, I mean, there's there's a huge amount that goes into it. It's not just a little bit of carbon fiber sticking out off a front wing. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot more to an upgrade package than physical items, should we say? You know, there's processes, I, processes and procedures and execution of 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 you know what they're trying to do. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if there's something going on there. Yeah, I mean, looking looking squarely at Botas, I mean, he's 34 seconds behind Hamilton, and you would expect a guy in his situation, if he is playing the, the secondary role, that he would be a guy that's trying to play lead blocker holding off Ferrari. Not that necessarily Hamilton needs a lead blocker at this point, certainly, but, you know, I, moving forward, it does warrant the question that, that I asked a couple weeks ago, maybe even last week, was, you know, did we... Did Mercedes get a hold to Botas and re-sign him too soon? Certainly the, the stats warranted him being re-signed ahead of time um, because of the two wins and, and where he was in the championship. But it makes you wonder now, Ocon now, longest streak for a guy uh, to start a career with 26 races now uh, without a DNF. He's also got every race but one in the points this year. And he's a Mercedes junior driver, development driver. So it makes you wonder... Maybe if they shouldn't have looked that direction for next year at this point, just because of how how damn impressive it is to watch him grow. And maybe where we've seen Valtteri, he's better than he was at Williams. The car is certainly better than, it, than a Williams car, but maybe he's not quite what we expected uh, him to be. You know, Maybe this is the Nico Hulkenberg conundrum from a couple of years ago. We've always wondered, oh, Hulkenberg's got all that talent. Just put him in a top ride and we'll see it. And I, Hulkenberg and Botas to me seem like one and one A, and certainly this kind of looks like a scenario where they gave somebody with Hulkenberg type talent to a top seat, and now we're seeing the after effects. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you see it so often, don't you? It, it's you know, fifty percent of a Formula One career, if not more, for these what I would describe as non superstars, and I'm, I'm putting. Um, um, you know, Valtteri in that in that category is a very very good solid driver. It's it's timing and it's the right place, the right time. You know, getting everything together and making it work work for them. Um, you know, he, he obviously had a good pedigree, pedigree coming through in GP3 before he signed up with Williams and did a solid job there in a a car that was competitive at times and not quite so uh, in other times and probably paced an experienced teammate in Massa quite comfortably, but. Um, you know, there's maybe something, maybe there's that X factor, for want of a better word, missing. And to a certain extent, maybe, how should we put this? Is Ocon doing himself any favours with that whole Perez-Ocon dynamic that you're seeing going on at Force India? If you're Toto Wolff and Nicky Lauda, the guys who obviously make the driver decision at Force India, I mean, at Mercedes, sorry, they could be looking at it and thinking, well, you know what? Ocon, you know, he he ruffles a few feathers, and he's good. Don't get me wrong. You know, the kid is is good, but we've had all that with with Nico Rosberg just eighteen months ago. Do we want to go back to that situation? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, do we just want a couple of years of hey guys, let's just just calm everything down, not 
draw attention to all the internal politics um, and just go out and race because you know you know, to, to kind of phrase Valtteri wouldn't say boo to a goose you know he's as quiet and as placid as they come you know obviously when he gets his helmet on and gets in the car he's pretty aggressive but you know he's not going to you know upset too many people so but maybe that's the road they're going down for the time being but let's be honest here if if somebody like Ferrari decides to come calling and Ocon is in a situation where Mercedes isn't going to offer him the drive. Ocon will disband from his development duties to go drive for a top team. And that's the danger that Toto Wolff and Nicky Lauda and company are in right now by leaving Ocon on a, on a, let's be honest, it's a second tier squad. So for sure. But again, but you know, Ferrari, as you mentioned earlier, Ferrari have got Leclerc, they've got, uh, you know, a couple of other guys coming through their system. Would they, Look to um, you know from a political perspective, Leclerc is a fantastic selection. You know it. Um, you know it's more than they could ever ask for. Um, I think the better better part here, maybe Red Bull would probably be best served to be the team that uh, that would be talked about in this situation, disbanding from Ricardo and and maybe not sold totally on bringing Saints back from loan and and maybe looking in the direction of somebody like Ocon because it would be a really good. Uh, you know, I don't even know. It would be a very good play from Christian Horner to do something like that to Mercedes. Oh yeah, and I mean, but again, then it. This is the, the political problem, I guess. When you have such aggressive junior squads, then when you start going outside of your junior squad and picking up other teams' juniors, then it like starts to question your own junior structure. Um, you're sort of mixing and matching a little bit there, and I think um, they've got to be careful how they. Because then it'll drive kids away from signing up to them. Because then they'll have the attitude of their managers. Well, hang on, why do I want to commit to this guy when we know that two or three drivers he's picked up from other guys? Well, you know, let's go somewhere else then. Um, they've yeah. got. To, if you're going to have these junior structures, you have to, you have to use them. And they've shown that with, you know, you you look at. I mean, Weber was the last guy in a Red Bull that didn't come through Toro Rosso. So you've had, you know, you've had Vettel, you've had uh, Ricciardo, you had Kvyat, who wasn't successful and got, you know, demoted, and rightly so, he hasn't been, and now you've got Verstappen, you know. They've had that structure and that process. If you then start saying, well, actually, I want that one, it's like, well, hang on, I'm sure at some point, you know, when this kid was coming through Formula 3 or Formula BMW or whatever, you had a chance to pick him up. Um, you know, you can't pick every young kid out. You've You've got to, at some point, be selective and, um, you know, sort of go with your judgment at the time. I know what we're about to get into is going to be interesting. So I guess before we get to that, I will say this. Uh, <laughs> the weekend the weekend as a whole uh, being amazing, it's important to note that they had over 255,000 people out there. I, I forgot the final tally. I think it was 258,000 for the, for the three-day event. Uh, which is, even though it's a staggering number, it's actually down 4% from last year. But um, interesting to note, I don't care what anybody says about how you can't hear fans on a road course, um, because I went up top with uh, Jeff Glock at Turn 1. Uh, he was a really, really well-known journalist in his own right, and we, we hung out in Turn 1. And when Vettel made that move at the start to pass Hamilton to get out to the lead, you heard everybody just erupt, and you could hear it beyond turn one. You'd hear it all the way down the S's in the different sections that they had grandstands set up. Uh, it was certainly one of the more unique 
things to, to listen to because I, I can't remember actually hearing fans necessarily that loud on a road course because, you know, obviously everything's so spread out. So good for Coda putting that many, getting that many fans attracted to the event. It was a my book, it was probably the best Grand Prix of the season. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I I don't know too many Grand Prix that top to bottom, not just for the lead, but throughout the entire field had really good fights for position. I, I recall the the move that Carlos Saints, I forgot who he put it on off the top of my head right now. I think it was Massa, but going through um, the double apex right hander. Yep. By the you know, it did it from the outside and then cut it in. It was just beautiful. He, he, took, he overtook him into turn, was it 1920? That complex at the end of the lap there, it was oh no, yeah. it was quality, yeah. I mean, it was just it, to me, that was the move of the race. I know everybody's going to point to what we're about to allude to, but to me, that was probably the best <laughs> all around move for the race, considering the equipment, considering the life of the tires, considering who he was trying to do it. Because I think it was Massa, and Massa for my book is probably the toughest guy to pass, yeah, but um. All right, Richard. Yeah, it was so. it was quite a show. It was quite a show. But yeah, let's talk about let's talk about old Max and the track limits, huh? Yeah. Um, so Kimi Raikkonen was running third last lap. Verstappen was was really gaining ground, and it was just around the bus stop that Raikkonen kind of gave a little bit of that opening coming out, and Verstappen took it and going through the same double apex that we just alluded to. We saw Max go maybe over the curbs, all four tires off track limits, advance his position, and ended up getting third. What led to a very fun, I don't know if y'all had a chance to see it on the American feed, uh, the American networks if they showed it. I heard they didn't, but on the world feed the, uh, that uh, broadcast with Sky F1, there's actually a unique exchange in the podium room uh, where Verstappen was already in there getting his water, and then Raikkonen came in and uh, had a smirk on his face, and Verstappen was told to leave. It was one of the more funny scenes, honestly. But um, anyway, going to this, Verstappen received a five-second penalty, which Raikkonen actually almost didn't clear. He was 4.1 seconds back after that mishap and just kind of coasted along the line trying to save fuel because that seemed to be... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's Chumba ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Be the general consensus on the day was fuel was was the trouble that needed saving. Um, I agree with the penalty. To me, he was the only driver that advanced position that went off track limits. Uh, <coughs> we saw I saw Botas go off track limits, but he lost position. Ironically, I think it was two for stopping. Um, and many times throughout the race, we saw track limits. You know, people taking advantage of going going off of them and them not being imposed. But my one argument that I know Richard is probably going to make here is that they weren't consistent. 
And I know that they weren't consistent, but the one thing that was also not consistent was the fact that this was the one time that somebody went off of track limits that advanced position and not necessarily time. So with that, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so fundamentally, you have track limits. You know, you people spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build these tracks and for a good reason they have the black bits in the middle and then a white line and then curbs and runoff and gravel and grass and astroturf and tarmac or whatever whatever it wants to be these days and you know the, the idea of racing is you race within that track now there's become this sort of horrible, like almost legal term that you expect a politician to come up with about gate. You know, you will only be penalised if you leave track limits and gain an advantage. Well, yeah, okay, fine, gaining the advantage. I understand that, but it's like, what's the definition of gaining an advantage? Where do you decide? You know, oh, well, on, you know, the particular track, turn three, if you exceed the track limits, that's okay, you can do that. But at turn four, oh, no, you can't do it at turn four. From a fan's perspective, when Formula One and is, is trying to attract fans, don't do stupid things and have stupid rules. You know, have a set of rules. If you turn around and say, these are the track limits, and if you have all four tyres over the track, unless you are physically forced off the track by another competitor if the other competitor doesn't give you room then i think you're there's a that's again where it gets very gray but i think fundamentally if you have all four tires off the track then you should be penalized for it right, well, let, um, me, let me throw this out there because uh, you touched on something i just wanted to jump in with really quick there so racing in the united states okay this, this kind of falls in perfectly because, you know, most U.S. race fans are pretty used to rules that are applied inconsistently and don't make sense, right? <laughs> yes. I just wanted to get that in there. Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah. No, no, that, that is true. That is true. Um, but you, you go on Monaco or Singapore or even at some parts of the track Abu Dhabi. If you go off the track limits, you're in the wall. Um, so... Um, you know, you need some sort of structure to it. And you, I mean, my personal opinion is turn around and just say, if you have all four car, all four tires off the track, it's over. You know, you, you need to either give up a position. If you, if you gained an advantage and gained an advantage is passing somebody or not allowing somebody to pass you, then you've got to give the position back. I, I think they're they're you know they're running this very grey area, and again they need to understand it because I have a fundamental issue where so say you're a fan and you're watching the race, you're watching that race, you see Hamilton win, Vettel come second, and Verstappen come third, and then you're like, oh, I've got to go, got to go to the grocery store, turn the TV off, and you go to the grocery store, and you come back two hours later, you turn it back on, and you're like, well, hang on, why is why is Raikkonen third? Oh, hang on. Well, well, no, but Verstappen just pulled this great move on him at the end. What's going on? They don't understand it. And it's too complicated. Yes, there could be scenarios where it's unfair on somebody. But just make a rule and stick with it. You know, yeah. over the course of a season, it will wash out. 
if you hadn't, you know, if you hadn't penalised um, Verstappen in this case, then all the Raikkonen fans would be calling it unfair. Well, at some point, it's going to come back and benefit Raikkonen. So just have this rule, stick with it, and say, if you have all four tyres off the track, then it's a penalty. You know, no, I mean, don't don't make any ifs or buts about it. Have it solid, and then then you remove all questionability. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't know if too many things have benefited Raikkonen over the last couple of years, especially when it comes to between him and Verstappen lately. I mean, I think of the double move in Hungary, which uh, to me that should have been a penalty, and it wasn't. I, I look at Mexico, and, and Verstappen finally got hit with something, although it kind of catered to to the Red Bull organization as a whole because it's Vettel's the one that ended up the back end of the victim of that. Uh, so it brought Ricardo back up there to finish at the tail of the podium. So, you know, I don't discredit any of what you're saying. Certainly there needs to be some consistency. I kind of put it also down to the people, the design of the track, you know, whether that's, well, for sure. uh, I, I mean, would like to see, I would like to see just enough runoff for two tires and a wall. Yeah. Like, that's it, and that's all that needs to happen to ensure that these things aren't a gray area. Because you're gray, I mean, the gray area is the wall. You meet it, you're yeah, done. Exactly. You look at you know you go back even a few years. You look at some you know some of the great racetracks that are out there. You know your Silverstones, your Spas, your Suzukas, your places. Montreal like doesn't have a lot of runoff. No, and you've got gravel, and you've got you get if you run wide or you you go off track, or you make a mistake, you will be penalized. How many times do you see somebody outbreak themselves and? You know, typically they'll go through the, you know, which basically it's just a different paint, different colored track. <laughs> you know, it may be painted red rather than black. You know, um, it's there's no real penalty to it. You know, back in the day, you know, you'd you drop two wheels off into the gravel and that was it. Race over. Um, you know, you penalize guys that made mistakes. You don't do that as much. There is not as many penalties now for making mistakes as there used to be. And I think they need to look at that. I think they need to um, to sort of toughen that up a little bit and and make them uh, because at some point you're going to get these daredevil moves. I mean, the one Verstappen made wasn't quite such an issue because it wasn't a a flat out a really really high speed corner. But you know, you're going to start getting people putting cars in positions where you're going to get some accidents and you're going to get big accidents and. As much as I don't agree in policing the drivers, and I, I'm a big advocate that these drivers are smart, intelligent people. <laughs> um, most, of, most of them are. Some of them. Um, I was once told by uh, somebody that works on the medical side at the FAA that uh, drivers shouldn't push their um, earphones into their ears too hard because they could fall down the gap in the middle. Um, <laughs> But no, they these guys are smart enough to be able to make their own decisions. And as a circuit designer and a governing body, you have to work with them on that. Yeah, I, and, I think and, you know, help them police themselves. Don't say, "Well, if you made a mistake, it's okay. We're going to give you this half an acre of runoff." Well, no, you can no put a few gravel traps in there, and uh, you can have Alonso with his deck chair out there when he retires from a race. You know. Yeah, I. I say this. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. That'd, that'd be your track limit. If you run over Alonzo, you get penalized. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree with the penalty for sure. But um, you know, overall, and it's only for an advance on position. Uh, but that said, 
it's got to be refreshing for Ferrari to have double double podium, considering what they've endured over the last couple of race weekends, for sure. The last three in a row have been a catastrophe of sorts. Uh, obviously, it's taken Vettel out of the championship hunt, and even though he's got the runner-up, uh, he still falls further back because Hamilton continues to get what I think is uh, just a ridiculous season at this point. This is his 11th win of the year. So it's surely with three rounds to go, it looks all but for naught. Um, that said, uh, speaking of Alonzo, kind of going off into that, Alonzo did re-sign with McLaren. That happened on Thursday. It was announced. And, um, you know, obviously I'm sure Zach Brown necessarily didn't say this, uh, he just he said that Alonzo wanted to just know what the plans were moving forward with the power plant. He didn't necessarily specifically ever ask for one or the other. So I, I think he was just looking for some direction. But with them going to Renault Power next year, if it's to any level, and I know that, that Christian Horner can be critical of Renault all he wants, but <laughs> maybe they should do a little bit better job on their chassis because right now it looks like Renault has a good power plant because I'm seeing Renault run really well as a factory team and continuing to make strides. And I think it's only a matter of time that you see McLaren with the proper engine continue to do the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Renault swamp the top 10 next year at this point. I mean, it's just staggering. But um, it's it's cer- certainly, certainly good to see those things situated because that was the big question. I know I asked the question in the press conference about his IndyCar plans. Uh, and then one of the things that he did say even though he said, I will not be at the Indy 500 in 2018, this wipes that opportunity away because I, I will run Monaco. I do plan to be, I promise to be at Indy in the future. So he still wants the 500. I know since some sports car news came out, he's running Rolex, I believe, with United Autosport. Um, yes. That was revealed through Racer. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest there for him to pursue Le Mans next year, and I think that's going to happen because it doesn't coincide with anything. It doesn't collide with anywhere on the F1 schedule. So he wants a triple crown, and uh, you know I think he's going to be two-thirds of the way there after, uh, after next year. So all in all, um, a good F1 weekend. Uh, I don't agree with Kavat missing out. I, I hate it for Gasly, by the way, also because he left – this Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner opportunity to run the usgp and it was clearly in vain because a tsunami or sorry a typhoon hit um there's a very strong different terminology there a a typhoon hit japan and actually canceled the uh, super formula finale he was only half a point back p2 in the championship and didn't even get a chance to fight for it so this really was a rough one for him to endure i'm sure but um you know beyond that um, well, we'll see. Gas, was... We'll see Gasly back in the car in Mexico, uh, yeah. Along with uh, Brendan Hartley, who will be back in that car again. And uh, you know, speaking of Hartley, this will help transition us over to a new topic. Uh, you know, Hartley's been in the frame and talked about for the uh, the All Kiwi Chip Ganassi team as a teammate to Scott Dixon. And uh, just uh, you know, a few hours before we went on the air tonight, before we started tape, it was announced that. Uh, Chip Ganassi had indeed signed um, Rookie of the Year, Ed Jones, 
um, to uh, to the number ten car. So uh, we won't be seeing. Yes, Joey, we'll do Mexico picks. <laughs> we will be seeing. Uh, uh, we'll not be seeing Hartley in a Chip Ganassi car, which uh, which means he's probably you know got some pretty strong ties there with the Toro Rosso car. Uh, you know, whether whether or not we see him there um, next year or not, probably is highly dependent on his performance in the next couple of races here. But uh, you know, if the USGP is any indication, he's he's on a good path. So so uh, with no further ado, before we do some picks for Kansas. Or picks, picks, well, I'm, Seth is tied to some kind <laughs> of white line in Kansas here, okay? You know, Before we do some really picks for Mexico, chat uh, yeah, right now. I, I don't know. You, you, ever, <laughs> you, ever, you ever been to Kansas? There's some towns in there that you might think you're in Mexico. I actually got so. a ticket in Kansas earlier this year. <laughs> uh, so let's. On a 93 and an 80. Uh, Joey, Joey, who do you like for Mexico? Um, That's a great question, Frank. Um. <laughs> You know, I've I've really got to give it some thought, but you know, it's hard to bet against Hamilton, but I think I'm gonna, and I'll go ahead and say that uh, Ricardo bounces back from an engine failure. All right, good pick, Seth. I'll let you have a pick for Mexico. I'm just gonna go with Hamilton at this point. You might as well. You might as well, Richard. We were giving him a bit of stick earlier tonight, but I think he's gonna bounce back. I think this could be one for uh, Valtteri. All right, yep, yep. And Gray? I'll go with Vettel. All right, and then uh, let me think who's left. I'll go with Kimi Raikkonen then. Been a while since we've seen Kimi in victory lane, and, uh, you know, wouldn't some folks like to see that? So um, speaking of Mexico, it's hotly rumored that uh, during the Formula 1 weekend in Mexico there will be an official announcement uh, that the IndyCar Series will have an August date um, at that track next year to fill that kind of hole in August. So and that'll give us an 18th race on the IndyCar schedule. So we'll, uh, we'll see if that comes from, see if that comes to fruition. I'm sorry. I'm reading all the stuff in the chat here. I'm talking about how long it's been since Kimmy won. So uh, any other Formula One stuff we want to touch on before we talk about a little bit of IndyCar and then we'll get into uh, talking about this um, race in Kansas. One thing, very, very quickly, um, I saw, I don't know if it was actually in uh, in Austin or just uh, something that came in a few days before, but uh, the Formula One management group now, the owners are looking to release a, a sort of streaming service next year, right, going away from their traditional um, subscription-based or, excuse me, terrestrial-based um, TV service into their own standalone package, ah. how that will work. We'll Not see, sure yeah. yet, but it's certainly, I think, a good move for them to sort of branch out a little bit and start, um, you know, embracing the uh, the digital media stuff. I, I've always thought it quite ironic that something, a sport which is probably the most advanced sport in the world from a technological standpoint is, is still pretty archaic in the way it does its viewership. Right, right. And I did, I did hear a little note also that uh, Sirius XM will have all the uh, Formula One broadcasts uh, next year, which is, is actually not much of a surprise if you look at uh, Liberty Media, Media and all their holdings. One of the things they happen to own is uh, Sirius XM Radio. Um, they also own the Atlanta Braves, so I don't know how we'll work that into Formula One. But um, so. well, you know, it's funny <laughs> that one of the topics that came up a lot this past weekend and a lot of the mumblings through the paddock was uh, how serious 
of a potential additional Grand Prix in, in the United States. I mean, it's certainly certainly something that's very possible. Uh, it was talked about quite a bit, pretty extensively. It was asked of a lot of the drivers and in the uh, written media pressers, and it was certainly something that a lot of the media within within the center were talking about as well. So that's something to, to maybe, obviously we're not going to know anything right now, but it's certainly something to keep a pulse on moving forward. Yeah, are they still, are they still very, like really quickly? Are they still really high on uh, Las Vegas for that uh, for that Grand Prix, or, or have there, are there other locations being touted about? Because I know we've we've heard New York, New Jersey for years, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think that's as much you know red tape as IndyCar trying to race in Boston. But uh, they they still talking like a Vegas street race. Vegas was on the list. Um, it looked like they were kind of upset to lose Long Beach. And then Watkins Glen was another one that came up. And then possibly even a return to Indianapolis was, was in the was in the fold. So, yeah, um, Indianapolis got all the structure right there. And, you know, they still got the FIA yeah. garages. The, the road course is in really good shape. Yeah, that, I'd, I'd love to see them back at Indy. That's a pretty much a turnkey solution, isn't it? Just They could just rock up at a month's notice and make it work, couldn't they? Yeah, well, because yeah. you don't, you figure you had the whole problem there was, you know, Bernie and Tony hated one another, and neither one of those guys are in the picture right now. So, so uh, let's make it happen. Yeah. So now, Richard, you say you had one more, one more point. One more very quick point. Um, looking forward to uh, through to next year, and we discussed it a little bit on the show in recent weeks. But can somebody please shut Felipe Massa up? Getting embarrassed. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Richard, Richard you and I were talking about that earlier today. Yeah, he's he's becoming Actually, like he's becoming like Villeneuve. You know, he's you like almost turning into like those old guys you saw on the Muppets. Exactly, complaining well, about everything, and it's like you know, <laughs> Felipe. In all fairness, mate, you've had your chance. You know, you were a great number two to Schumacher. You were fantastic. You, you filled great in number two to Kimi. Yeah, you know, you filled in and done a job at, um, you know, at Williams for the last few years, and you know, you, you've you've done a solid job. But has he been amazing? No, I mean. This time last year, everybody thought he was going to be on a beach this year, you know, chilling out and not doing this. And he stepped back in and, you know, now it's like some of the things he's saying, it's, come on, really? Yeah, and the guys that he's bad-mouthing, the guys that he's bad-mouthing are the guys in frame to take his seat. You know, Paul DeResta exactly. and Robert. You know, Robert the best thing, best thing that Williams and Master could do is turn around and say, okay, Felipe, here's the deal. Brazil, your last race. Go out in your home crowd. Kubica, you race Abu Dhabi. See how you get on her. If there's any problems, we'll look at it then. If not, you're in for next year. That's how yeah. I'd play it. But I I, I just I think he's 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 potentially spoiling. You see, this time last year, the wind down of his career was great. Every track he went to, he got great support and the fans loved him and everybody was like, Yeah, great. And now it's like, Oh, you're retiring again? Oh, on, we like all like the thing that wouldn't leave, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this situation. I'm glad you brought this up because I almost completely forgot to mention this. Was uh, He was somebody that was talked about a lot in the media center as well as, as somebody in the fold to take a job within the FIA, that it's pretty much guaranteed that he's done at Williams. So uh, to, to that end, I'll say this. That lovely – it was one of the most greatest, awe-inspiring moments. Uh, it was bittersweet for him, obviously, but it was one of the greatest moments in motorsport was – the situation in Brazil last year, it was rainy, it was torrential rain, and he wrecked out, and he had the uh, Brazilian flag handed to him, and he draped it over his shoulders, and across the front stretch had the crowd completely on their feet, just 
celebrating his career and then every pit crew member coming out from the garage and and just it was a very you know like dale earnhardt in 98 in daytona type of situation obviously dale didn't wreck he won the race but in this situation <laughs> it's ironic that everybody celebrated felipe wrecking wasn't it yeah but but <laughs> that was the moment and now for me personally and i think that there's a lot of people that i've talked to that are kind of in the same boat that moment for me is a lot more hollow now yeah. Um, yeah, and back. it sucks. Yeah. Well, it's not just that he's back. It's also the behaving that we're getting. And I agree with Richard. I would like to see a situation where maybe Brazil is where he hangs it up. And we see – I'm not necessarily a fan of Kubica getting the opportunity, uh, you know, getting getting the drive, so to speak. Uh, I think there's other people that are deserving. And I think I centered also around the fact that the focus should be on car development. Obviously, Lance is who you're trying to build this around. You're trying to move forward. You're trying to be the next juggernaut like Williams once was. And I think that this situation comes into play. And it's, I don't see how a guy coming in with zero experience in this 2018 car or less, next to nothing can really move this thing forward. Uh, so I don't think Kubitz is the answer. I don't think Paul DeRest is the answer. And I don't even know how he's in the fold for this, given his IMSA ties that I've I've heard as of late. So, I don't say this lightly, but there's some development drivers that I would probably chase. Um, beyond that, uh, Jolly and Palmer, I guess. I don't know which direction you go if you're trying to get away from Felipe, but I certainly wouldn't look Paul the rest of I wouldn't look I wouldn't look at, at the drivers that they're looking at anyway. But uh who else Kubica, they've got a very, very limited choice. I mean, I know you mentioned uh, Palmer, but I mean Wow, I mean, he hasn't. Exactly, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're picking from a pretty, a pretty small pot there, aren't you? I mean, really. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, let's see. I mean, a lot of... Danny Kvyat's available. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, hey, well, you know what? That may not actually be the most terrible choice because he comes from a championship squad in, in Red Bull, so he would actually know how to, like help them and get them one step closer. That's actually probably the best. I hate to say it. That might be your best option. <laughs> but to a certain extent, you you know, you talk about Duresti, you talk about Palmer, you talk about um, Kvyat. They're all, how should we put it? They're all known quantities. Yeah. And they're all pretty, again, pretty uninspiring quantities. Um, you know, Kubica would... From a you know, and you can have the best drivers in the world in Formula One in any motorsport, but if you don't have the marketing tool and you don't have the again, we used the phrase already tonight, the X factor, there's something different, the stuff that's gets going to get people interested. You know, would would either of the would any of those three guys there mentioned really get people go? Oh wow, let's you know what's I, Williams doing? What are they doing this year? Let's we want to pay pay interest. Oh, where did Williams finish in first practice one in Australia? If you put Kubrick in the car, to a certain extent, it's an unknown quantity, but it's also it's a known quantity. You know that that guy has talent, and it will get people paying attention to you as a brand. It will get 
people going, okay, wow, let's have a look, let's see what they're doing, let's let's pay some attention to these guys. And I think that's half the battle in this sport, and I think that could be the route they go down. Uh, man, I just, I don't know. I, I look at that situation, and I think that, let's say a situation, of course it's going to create interest, it's going to generate buzz, but I feel like all of that's short-lived, because we're looking at a situation where, given his injury and he's coming back, and of course he's not 100% of what he once was, if you run into a situation where he races like Grosjean did a few years ago, when Grosjean was known as the wreck fest kind of guy, you know, we look at Spa with that situation, and we look at what Mark Weber had some pretty lovely choice phrases for him. If he, if any of that comes to light, the first thing that's going to get pointed out is that injury, and immediately he becomes a liability on the grid. And so from a from a marketing standpoint, I don't disagree with you. I think it's brilliant to put him in a car because I think if you're needing that money, absolutely. But, you know, if you need a guy that's got age that, that you know, and obviously has talent, I'm looking at maybe a, one of his former teammates. I'm looking at Nick Heidfeld. I'm looking no. at somebody. I, I'm telling you, like, it, and if you're going that direction, I look at guys who have driven just about everything, who have experience in just about anything. If you're trying to build up a program, by no means is this sustainable because clearly it's not sustainable if you're already considering Paul DeResta and Robert Kubica because you look at the age factor, you look at the experience. I mean, clearly this is a one- or two-year fling, right, Max? Uh, that's what it is. You're waiting for another guy to be free and come in. Kubica's only 32, though. I mean, you can get four or five years out of him. All right, but so Formula fellas, One nowadays, he might as well be so, fifty. Fellas, apart from this year, Raikkonen in, in one of the top cars. Yeah, so uh, let's let's move on from this topic because uh, <laughs> you know, not, neither neither one of you are in charge of signing drivers at Williams. So, but I do want to save enough time in the show so uh, Seth and Seth and Gray can uh, go over this NASCAR race we had in Kansas uh, elimination. News car. So. News car, yeah. So let's real real quick. No, no, snooze, snooze car. Snooze car. car. Okay, yeah. So yeah, let, yeah. let's re- real quick uh, update on a couple of IndyCar stories. I did mention uh, Ed Jones will be going to the ten uh, car. Uh, great news for him. Uh, not so great news for Dale Coyne, who thought he had a handshake deal with Mr. Jones. Um, Connor Daly confirmed on his Twitter account today that he is out at AJ Foyt, um, and it looks like um, Matthias Leist is the front runner. Uh, to replace Daly, um, alongside Tony Kanaan there. Um, that leaves Connor looking for a seat. Munoz, as, as kind of said, he's he's dried up all his options, looking for a full-time seat. He's looking for something in sports cars uh, and an Indy 500-only bid. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens to Carlos Munoz there. Possibility that uh, we could see, um, you know, Connor daily coming back to uh dale coin although uh, rc enerson has been kind of rumored for that seat as well and uh last night um i had the opportunity to uh interview uh kyle kaiser on um on another podcast and uh, i was speaking with kyle and uh, they're looking at a four race deal they really have no plans at this time to uh run a second car so i'm not sure what that noise is they have no plans to run a second car full time. So, uh, but let's uh, let's move on over to NASCAR, um, and I, I hope that's not uh, Gray having a nap on the air. Um, Gray, are you with us, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh, Joey and Richard, oh. you have put Gray to sleep. So, Seth, 
Seth, you saw the NASCAR well, race well, in Kansas. Hold on. Hold on yes, I did. I got, so, I got something to talk about on the IndyCar side of yes, things. Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> then just real quick, and then let's, let's talk about Kansas. Uh, I came up Sunday night uh, back home from Austin and Texas Motor Speedway's near where I live, and they actually te- had a Honda manufacturer test over there at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. And I got to tell you right now, uh, Dixon and Hinchcliffe were there. The car looks amazing. The pictures don't do it justice. There are so many differences. This looks like a the most proper race car I've ever seen. Um, that said, they talked a lot about uh, the, the car, the balance of it feels just slightly different, obviously. But one of the bigger things that were that were pointed out was, you know, we're used to seeing at Texas and places like that where we see not necessarily, I don't want to call it pack racing by any stretch, but we see we see very tight groups happen, and they have, we see late moves having to be made. Hinchcliffe alluded to the fact that those are probably less likely to happen because the closing rate for these cars is so much drastically different, even though there's maybe necessarily less power down and things like that. Uh, Dixon commented that they saw a 10-mile-an-hour increase on road courses uh, on top end. So this car... It looks amazing. It, it looks, I mean, it races beautifully. I mean, based on what we saw and what I saw at the test, um, obviously they're not going to sit there and go crazy with each other, but the passing, the dynamics, the stability of the car, uh, I think everybody's going to get on with the program and really enjoy that. Uh, fans, fans alike with the teams. I mean, the only thing that's really weird, we no longer have the Kardashians at the back with the rear pods, so that was really nice. We got so used to those rear bumpers, you know, it made the ass look so wide. It was ridiculous. But beyond that, also, the rear wing is completely short, completely narrowed up. Um, but there's And there's a lot of different changes, not too much to get into at this point in time. But overall, I like what I see out of that car. I like what I see moving forward with IndyCar. Yeah, I like it too. And we'll be um, – most of the teams are expected to take delivery of the full kits sometime in mid-November, right before Thanksgiving is what I'm hearing uh, you know, some of the some of the guys that are testing right now um, are actually those cars actually belong to IndyCar. And only a few of the teams actually have the bits, but uh, everyone's looking at taking delivery in November. Is is, is what I've heard. So we should see um, in in you know in, in full force January, February, all the teams out there testing the new cars. So really, looking, and, and, really looking forward to that. And and you had mentioned, uh, I know Hartley was in line maybe to be an all Kiwi lineup. So Jones going over there kind of changes the the dynamic there. Absolutely. A lot of the a lot of the things to look at right now are Esteban Gutierrez obviously was with Coin last year uh, for some handful of races. Did well. Dale really liked what he brought to the table. I would look for that situation to happen, um, and then maybe even I mean maybe they welcome Connor back. But if you if you go with money, also I think Esteban's a clear number two choice for that seat. Oh, certainly. I think yeah. someone. Yeah, I think even though Connor has previous experience there, I think he joins another team. I hope he's back on the grid, and I think the one that makes the most sense, I was talking about this with another counterpart on the show here, is uh, Chris DeHarty. And one thing that he had brought up was actually Ed Carpenter racing and sharing the road and street courses where Ed is oval only. And I think that would actually be kind of a nice return to form and, and maybe a situation where it plays to his strengths. And I think it could kind of maybe set things and level things off because let's remember he's still incredibly young and somebody that you could build a team around. And we saw him really start to click off some solid runs with Foyt equipment. And, you know, I I look at this situation and wonder, 
you know, Foyt continues to have this turnover and then these changes, and they could have really built around Munoz, who obviously is incredibly fast in an Indy car, especially the Indy 500 with a couple of runner-up finishes. And you look at Connor Daly, another youngster, they could have really built around. That was no easy situation for any young group to come into. You One team's based in Houston, the other team's based in Indianapolis. The engineering staff has been... A lot of people have said that may, they were trying to bolster up their lineup, and that's part of the reason they targeted Indy with that other shop is because they didn't quite have the development and the experience and even the education to be the most competitive team. I understand what you get out of Tony with the experience, but I really don't know what you gain by continuing to have this turnover uh, moving forward. So Munoz was in the mix for talking about uh, – David Mulsher reported that he's in the mix for trying to find Indy 500 rides – as well as trying to do something in the Indy IMSA prototype um, class. So, you know, moving forward, I hate to see that kind of turnover out of Foyt because they deserve to be higher on the grid. And I, I, as far as destinations, I think that's what you're looking at. Yeah, that Ed Carpenter thing has been mentioned quite a ton that I've been reading that. So, But let's move on. Let's talk about uh, NASCAR in Kansas. We had an elimination round. We had uh, a couple guys squeak through that we thought might be out. Then we had a couple other guys... Uh, uh, most notably, Mr. Kyle Larson uh, ended up being eliminated. Uh, that's something that uh, none of us would have thought uh, that Kyle Larson would have been out, but uh, that's exactly what happened. So uh, with no further ado, Gray uh, and Seth, uh, which one of you guys want to jump in and break down Kansas real quick? I'll defer to Seth, and we'll discuss it. Sounds good. Seth? Uh, well, Marjorie Jr. continues to be the winningest driver uh, on mile-and-a-half tracks this year. He now has seven wins on the season, six on mile-and-a-half tracks. He has an average finish of 2.8, which is the best average finish since Bobby Labonte in 1999, who had an average finish on mile-and-a-half tracks of 2.4. Truex can actually outdo and break that record if he wins or finishes second. Uh, at both Texas and Homestead. Moving on from there, it was not an easy win for Truex. He was penalized for changing lanes, specifically changing lanes before the start-finish line on a restart. It was not a white line rule. There is no white line rule. The rule is the leader, yes, he gets to choose a lane, but he has to maintain the lane, and he failed to do so. He went below the white line, therefore changing lanes. Hence the black flag. He did a pass-through, didn't lose a lap. They played strategy, stayed out, fell back on a late restart. He had to come back through the field again, and he ended up winning the race. He had a loose wheel. He did have a loose wheel as well. Uh, Kyle Larson, uh, he had an engine failure early on, came down pit road. They were checking the ECU. He, they had to go through the diagnostic page. And I went back and replayed that whole sequence of events. Uh, on the diagnostic page, they had him read off what warning lights were on. He had the warning light on for stuck throttle pro, uh, protection mode low oil pressure protection mode, and low uh, water pressure for, uh, I think, the radiator. And about five, ten laps later, the engine finally went and 
let go. And but it didn't end his playoff chances. There's still an outside chance that he could make it if Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Bush or Kyle Bush and Matt Kenseth failed to move on. As we know, both Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Bush moved on. Kenseth was caught up in a 12-car pileup, uh, ironically caused by Eric Jones, who's replacing him next year. Uh, and he got through relatively unscathed, but on pit road, uh, the pit crew had more than six, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, had more than six crew members go over the wall. And because he was on the damage vehicle policy, he was parked. There was a lot of outrage over that. But the thing is, that's been the rule all year long. It bit Kyle Larson in the clash, the first race of the year. It bit two truck teams at Daytona. Last week, it bit two truck team, or two weeks ago, bit uh, two truck teams at Talladega. And it also bit Corey LaJoy in the same race this week. So I don't know why people are so upset about uh, Matt Kenseth, where it's been the rule and everybody should have known it all year long. There's no excuse for whether the driver didn't know the rule or the team didn't know the rule. Otherwise, the stage wins went to Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, giving them a little bit more of a cushion, not much, one point each, uh, going into this round, the round of eight, the last one before the championship four. A few points of interest there. You know, you talk about uh, uh, Kenseth's penalty and, and drawing a lot, of, a lot of outrage. And, yes, it has been the rule. Uh, if you listen, I listened to the scanner traffic today, and the crew chief clearly says six guys, only six guys. And, of course, you know, you see it on TV. There's a guy with a Sawzall sitting on the fence. He makes a move toward the car. He comes back to wall, and then, and, and then he goes forward again. So, basically, it was just a mix-up between the crew guys. They were instructed to only uh, go over, I guess, you know, some guy just just didn't count, and of course, in, in a situation like that, you've really got to have six people assigned to go, and anyone other than those people don't go. But you know, I think what drew the outrage is the crime, the penalty doesn't fit the crime, and I thought Kyle Petty, uh, his analogy said it best. You have you're in the Super Bowl, and your team gets penalized for having twelve men on the field. Well, you don't have to forfeit the game and send everybody to the locker room. Uh, I understand. Uh, that, that, I understand. Is, that is a good analogy, Gray. I like that well, one. But, but isn't it isn't it stated pretty clearly in, in the rule book that, yeah, it, that yes, if, it, if it is under the, the, um, you know, the five-minute timer? Yeah, it's yeah. stated in the rule book, and everybody understands that. I'm just saying I think people now, since since this has been has come about uh, and, and it's hurt Kansas in such a – such a uh, situation where he's it knocked him, you know, from the playoffs. I think people are just expressing their frustration with the rule and saying that 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 you know the but, crime and the punishment don't don't fit. And I understand, here, I understand that. Go ahead. But here's the counter to that: if the penalty what is what it used to be, which was a one lap penalty, teams would just send ten, fifteen, maybe even twenty guys over the wall to repair the car. 
Oh, sure. I know. I know that. I know that. And it took, so they need some sort of balance. This is what they have right now. Maybe it can be tweaked somehow, but right now it is what it is. And two, a, a one lap penalty would have probably not Kenseth from the uh, from the chase as well. Uh, I'm not sure about that because he only ended up uh, nine points out. So the positions he would have gained or maybe held on to, he may have been able to squeak in by one or two points if it had been one lap. And that would have eliminated Jimmy? Yes. Okay. And Jimmy also had two spins, which he still can't can't explain it. The car just broke loose. Uh, yeah, I mean, and what's remarkable about that is Kyle Larson was in it. I mean, with 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 you know until the last restart, Kyle Larson was still had a had a shot at still getting in, in the in the advancing to the next round, even from the garage area. So, yeah, he, he had. He had a one-point advantage going into the last restart over Jimmy Johnson. And just to put this into perspective, uh, yes, everybody had Kyle Larson, or just about everyone had Kyle Larson in the championship four because of the number of wins he had. Yes, he had four wins, had the second most wins this year going into the playoffs. He only had four stage wins. Going into the playoffs, Kyle Busch had 14. Martin Truex Jr. had 18. So doing the math, yes, he had a slight advantage over some, but not the advantage that everybody made it out to be. Yeah, and, you know, it's unfortunate that he had that he suffered the engine failure, which, you know, engine failures in the sport are rare now. Let's face it, there, there's, there's not many, many engine failures, especially among the the, the, the top teams. Uh, you know, we, we saw that happen to uh, Truex last year. He was eliminated by a, uh, by an engine failure. So that those things are going to happen. You don't plan, you can't plan for them. That it's just one of those things you can, as easy that can happen as easily, easily as you get taken out in someone else's wreck. Uh, Jamie McMurray, uh, was having a good day. Uh, uh, don't know that he could have, uh, could have he had to win the race don't know that he would have uh won the race but he had run uh pretty much uh in the top 10 uh all day long before the wreck he felt good about his about his chances uh but he was eliminated in 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 the big wreck uh also so uh yeah you know it was a it was a kind of a crazy day we didn't you know of course i think a lot of people didn't, didn't wanted to see uh, Kyle Larson advanced just from a from a competition standpoint, but one of the one of the better runs of the day was turned in by Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney, uh, his his uh, qualifying uh, uh, run was dis was disallowed, and he had to start dead last in the field. And he drove through the field uh, and got into the top fifteen by the competition caution that was necessitated by a, a rain the night before the race, washing all the rubber off the track. But he drove solidly into the top 10 uh, during the first stage. So uh, really a really a good uh, good run, and then he stayed in the top five uh, the rest of the race. So a good run for Blaney, uh, and he garnered a lot of uh, uh, some valuable uh, stage points that uh, that are going to help him uh, going forward. Uh, yeah. One of the drawbacks to it, though, 
this weekend, uh, NASCAR is going to uh, continue with their experiment of qualifying and racing on the same day at Martinsville, like they did, if you remember, they did it at, uh, they did it at Pocono. So, uh, earlier, didn't they do it in another track, Seth? Did they do uh, that? I want to say Watkins Glen. Yeah, I was going to say Watkins Glen. And this is something that they've been doing for years in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. They're just experimenting with it in the Cup Series. Uh, And and one of the things, the point I was going to try to make was that uh, the the pit positions for for Martinsville were determined by qualifying this weekend. The picks uh, were. Yeah, the the pit picks, right. Pit position. So Blaney will get the last draw at Martinsville, which it will be be pretty much a disadvantage uh, for him because uh, we all know how the pit road goes at Martinsville. And, so that is one of the drawbacks to him having his time disallowed at Kansas. And just something else I do want to point out as well about Blaney. Uh, when the green flag flew at Kansas, he was 21 points out. By the time stage one ended, because he had climbed not only up to 15th by the competition caution, but into the top 10, he was 14 points to the good. That's how much of a difference and how good of a car he had that day. He didn't have a good enough car to win, or if he had, we wouldn't know because of where he started and how many cars he had to pass, but that's how good he was. A sensational run by Blaney, nonetheless. It was it was a great drive, uh, and 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 a, and a shot in the arm for the for the for the twenty one team, and he he moves on solidly into the next round. If he right, can, yeah. uh, and they enter Martinsville, and that's that's the home race for the Wood Brothers too. Yep. So and if he can uh, dodge it, if he can dodge a bullet and 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 be able to uh, overcome the uh, the the poor pit position that he's he's undoubtedly going to have. Um, then uh, you know he can he can move on because he's got some good tracks coming up uh, uh, going out to, uh, to especially to Texas uh, where I heard uh, heard one of the, you know he'll be he'll be one of the favorites uh, going going into that because he runs so well on the mile and a half. And speaking of Blaney, a little bit of a uh, some good news today. Blaney's. Uh, best friend, which it's been documented for a while that the two of them are very good friends. Darrell Wallace Jr. finally signed the contract with Richard Pay Motorsports. It's finally official. I know we've mentioned it on here numerous times this year, but Darrell Wallace Jr. will be driving the number 43 full-time not only next year, but it's a multi-year agreement. Uh, details right now are vague. There's no mention as to who will be sponsoring. There's no mention as to manufacturer. Uh, the team still has their current shop up for lease, so there's no mention as to where they will be located. Uh, by my count, they have at least six to ten races, give or take, uh, sponsored. STP uh, has uh, basically congratulated Darrell Wallace Jr. and Petty so it looks like they're going to be back for at least another three races as they have been recently, if they don't even step up some. Uh, Grunt Style has already announced that they were going to uh, be an associate sponsor with Petty, and I believe that deal came with a one-race primary sponsorship. Uh, the U.S. Air Force 
possibly will be back for another two to three races. And I believe they also have sponsorship from GoBowling.com. I think they still have that. I'm not sure if that's moved over to Roush. I know it's bounced back and forth in recent years. But by my count, they have somewhere between six and ten races of sponsorship. Yeah, and, they, and Drew Blickensdurfer, their crew chief, is going to stay on board. Uh, that that was also announced too. But like you said, a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other uh, questions that we have will be answered at, at a later date. And we're also hearing that uh, uh, a good many of the employees uh, that they've had are or have have been laid off, and 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 uh, so really is still still quite a lot of flux in that organization don't know where they're going to be going to be based out of don't know whether they'll run as an alliance team uh in in some regard or not so then you don't know what, how they're going to depending on what manufacturer they they de- they determine to go with who will uh who will probably they'll again they're going to have to team with somebody for chassis and engines so we'll see how that's going i'm sure those those details are are, are yet to be determined and we'll hear about those as we go forward. But, uh, you know, uh, I guess coming out of Kansas, you know, other than the, the, the elimination race and we move forward going to Martinsville, and again, we've, we've always talked about Martinsville being a wild card race too. We go in looking at with guys like uh, Jimmy Johnson and, and uh, Denny Hamlin as, as favorites, and also you could have to throw in uh, uh, probably Keselowski based on his run there in, in the spring. And, and maybe Kyle Busch also because the, the those well, guys those four have uh, have have won there in 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 the, in the recent past. But, and uh, if I may, uh, another uh, note on Martinsville: the driver with the third best average finish among active drivers at Martinsville, Martin Truex Jr. Yeah, he's and, had some good, he's he, had some good runs there, but he hadn't hadn't really been able to close the deal. He's never mean, won on a short track or a plate track. Those are the only two kinds of tracks he has yet to win on. And it, and with the season he's having, he could uh, he could very much change that trend for sure, no doubt about it. But you know, he he won't go in this weekend based on based on his 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 other performances there, not being able to close it. He probably won't go in as as one of the favorites. But basically. You know, all he's got to do is just have a solid, solid run and and come out of there without any 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 trouble, basically. And then he can move on to uh, to Texas, where he knows he'll be one of the favorites uh, going there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, Gray, you and I are are packing up our bags, and we're both heading down to Martinsville this weekend. Seth, uh, you had talked. Are you going to join us in Martinsville, or or is that off the table for you? Unfortunately, it's off the table. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, Gray and I are going to go down there, and, and hopefully the weather will cooperate. Last I saw, there was 80% chance of rain on Sunday. I'm They're saying it might be the first night best. race. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it could be a long weather, day. The weather forecast definitely has changed. They're calling for some cool, cooler, damp weather to move in on Sunday. That that kind of kind of concerns me. We'll just have to see uh, see what happens, but that was what I what I saw when I watched the uh, the weather this afternoon, and that's unfortunate too because uh, uh, so the advanced ticket sales at Martinsville uh, have been brisk and uh, have been uh, have been good, but uh, a little bit uh, 
better than some of their last few fall races. So they, the track itself was really looking to forward to having a really good crowd on hand uh, for for Sunday's race. Well, I hope you know. I hope everything cooperates. I mean, I'm not I'm not traveling back home till Tuesday. So I mean, there's I mean, if the race is on Monday, I'll I'll still be there. But uh, you know, I prefer to get it over over and done within the time frame there. So yeah, me too. I'll work it out. I'll see what happens. I'll maybe. I got a day off I could take on Monday probably and and go up there. There won't be a lot going on at the shop because everybody will be at Martinsville, so I might uh, use one of my personal days and and, uh, and stay over if that race were to, to, to run on Monday. And it would be unfortunate if it if it had to run on Monday because a lot of the crowd interest now is, is, is because people want to see the race finish under the lights, and that's, yes, that's a yeah. different that's a definite possibility, and of course, that's what has driven the advanced ticket sales. And another uh, small factor is it's Dale Jr.'s last Martinsville yep, race. That's, that's and on top hit. of that, he's running the Great Ghost paint scheme he uh, was supposed to run last year at Darlington in the throwback race. Uh, he had a fan vote, or Hendrick did, I forget who specifically had to vote. But let the fans vote as to which scheme he would run at Martinsville, and overwhelmingly, it was the Gray Ghost that he was supposed to run that Jeff Gordon ran in his place. So he finally scheme at the site of one of his favorite wins. So that should be interesting to see as well. That'll be neat, yeah. So, so let's let's talk about Martinsville a little bit, and and and. Let's make a pick for the win. And being that it's just the first, the first race of the next three stages that'll lead up to the final four, let's all let's all make our pick for the final four drivers now, and then we'll see how we uh, we did um, before we go to uh, down to Miami. So, um, uh, Richard, you've been a little quiet here since we stopped talking about Formula One. So, I mean, who are you, who, who are you liking for? Um, who are you liking for Martinsville? Martinsville, I'm. I said I, I, I picked this driver last week, and they didn't have the great race, but he did the business. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, good track, good track for uh, Jimmy too. So, yeah. And, and Gray, gosh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, he guys showed a little life here lately. Uh, picked up his game a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, Denny Hamlin will uh, will emerge uh, out of this thing. I just Jimmy just has not really. You know, he could surprise you. You know, he's a seven-time champ. He could pull one off, no doubt about it. But to me, that team has just not shown the consistency that we normally see in the last, you know, or the edge that they have in the in the last ten races in years gone by. They just haven't seen it. Some some seems amiss there. I don't know what. Yes, yeah, it's, it's plays kind of, like they like we're used to seeing out of that team. Kind, kind of strange, you know. Usually they show glimpses of uh, 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 of strength, and they haven't they haven't shown that. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Hamlin to uh, to win the race and transferring uh, to the to the out of the out of this next three to the championship four. I'm going to say obviously Truex. Uh, I'm going to put uh, Kyle Busch in the mix, and I'm going to put. Uh, 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 let's see. I'm gonna have. Uh, I'm gonna put Harvick in there as well uh, to to transfer. And uh, let's see. One more. 
Uh, who am I surely gonna you've got to go with Denny. If you pick Denny to win the race, surely you're going to pick yeah, him yeah. as well. Denny, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 you automatically go Thank you for... Thank you for reminding me that. Yeah, but, but other than that, I'm gonna I'm, and I'm basing Harvick on on probably running well and possibly uh, uh, getting back to victory lane at Phoenix. Um, yeah, yeah, Phoenix is a great track for for Harvick. Good track for Johnson too. You know, matter of fact. So um, now, now Richard, you didn't you didn't give. Us I your didn't pick my four, four did I? Yeah. So if you want to go ahead and throw out your pretty final similar, four real quick. Pretty similar. I'm gonna go with Truex, Bush, Harvick, and Johnson. All right, good, good. Um, now, Gray had a great pick with Denny Hamlin, a Virginia boy. That's his home track. He's won there quite a bit, so that would be good for the fans there at Martinsville to see. Now, Seth? Uh, I guess you, I'm going to be the one towards? that's a little different. Uh, I'm thinking we're going to have a spoiler at Martinsville. I'd say Kyle Larson for Martinsville. Uh, as far as the championship four, it has to be Truex. I mean, based on the run he's had so far, Kyle Busch. I'm going to say Keselowski. And for my fourth one, I'm going to say Ryan Blaney. You know, I was thinking what? Ryan Blaney too. <laughs> so, okay. and I actually, I would love to pick Ryan Blaney to win at Martinsville, uh, just because that team is based there. But honestly, as I look at the thing with the pit stall selection, and and Gray, you'll certainly remember, as I do, back in the day, Martinsville had the front and back pits, and the back mm-hmm. pits were pretty much the death sentence. You know, well, the, the the back pits were the death sentence unless you got the last the la- the, the the first pit on the back stretch would be right at entering turn three. That could be an advantage for you, kind of like when they used to have have the uh, front and back stretch at Phoenix. If you could get that pit, you that wasn't uh, the the way the rules were at the time, and the way you got on and off pit road, it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the the death sentence that it, that it is now when you get that fortieth pit stall, which enters turn three, and you have to lumber around pit road at thirty five miles an hour. You know, right, right, off the way yeah, out. So. so yeah, that's kind of a kind of a, a kind of you know kind of kills you there but um it can be done you know it just depends uh if the race falls a certain way and we have long greens uh long green sections uh and they play some pit strategy you know anything can happen so uh you can you can overcome uh you can overcome those things sometimes right but at the same time i don't think blaney's gonna overcome that this weekend but i i still think he makes the final four i think um you know, I think we have a spoiler again, a non-chaser win at uh, at Martinsville, and I think Kenseth wins at Martinsville just just as a little little bit of redemption. And then I think, uh, in addition to Blaney, the other three guys that are battling for the championship are going to be uh, Brad, Martin, and uh, Kyle Busch. So we'll compare notes in three weeks and uh, see if our final four uh, matches the actual final four. So uh, with that with that being said, any other any other nifty NASCAR news we need to touch on before we uh, close out for the night? Let's see. Uh, Casey Kane will have Travis Mack as his crew chief next year. Uh, Mack right now is the car chief for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, and that's going to be at Levine Family Racing, or I should say Levine Family Racing, the number 95 car. Okay. Otherwise, uh, it's been a slow news week. And what, other than the, you know, the big story obviously being the Darrell Wallace, 
But uh, so what's happening in uh, in Bush or I'm sorry, Xfinity and trucks? Well, Xfinity is off this weekend. Uh, last weekend, there was a controversial finish. Uh, Christopher Bell won the race after a slide job on his teammate Eric Jones. Yeah, Jones was not too happy. Bell did have the speed to clear him, but didn't have the speed to stay ahead of him. He parked in jo- front of him. Essentially <laughs> parked in front of him. <laughs> yeah. And Jones just drove straight into the back of him, never lifted, and it basically killed Jones' car with three laps to go. Uh, there wasn't a caution or uh, anything to help Jones or help anybody else, and they... Bell had such a lead, he just drove away with the win, essentially. Uh, This weekend, the Truck Series is in action again. It's the first race of their round of six. Uh, You have a couple of drivers making their debut. Uh, Dawson Cram for his family team. Uh, You have Mason Diaz for Next Gen Motorsports. And you have, coming back to the series for the first time in a couple of years, Cale Gale in the 99 truck. You're going to have Ty Dillon in the 87 truck for uh, Nemechek's team as a teammate to John Hunter. And I want to say there's somebody else also returning to the series. I want to say Jeb Burton Burton in the number 20 for Young's Motorsports. And it's actually, believe it or not, the first time that Jeb Burton and his cousin Harrison Burton are going to be competing in the same race. Oh, that's pretty cool, yeah. The next uh, next I, generation of the Burton boys, you know, I, I you know, certainly remember Ward Ward and Jeff uh, made their mark in NASCAR back in the day, and, and I know Greg. And by the you, way, Greg, you worked with uh, Ward Burton I for worked, sure. Yep. Worked, yes, worked for many years. And by the way, today is Ward Burton's birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday, turns, Ward! Believe Ward turns fifty six today. Well, good. He's still older than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if that's all we have, guys. Uh, we'll just we'll just wrap it up. Anybody have a final thought they want to inject inject into the yeah. show? Or oh, I thought yeah, so. Winning it, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> Richard's first. Winning it. Winningest. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up tonight. Go ahead, Richard. Uh, that's all I need to say. And Seth, <laughs> Seth, your rebuttal. Uh, well, it's an adjective first, Richard. But going back to what I was actually going to say, uh, a little bit of news also out of ARCA uh, after their season finale, which was last weekend at Kansas as well. Uh, Austin Terrio won the championship just by starting the race. Uh, That's how much of a lead he had. It's uh, Ken Schrader Racing's first championship since 2001, I want to say. But also... Venturini Motorsports announced part of its driver lineup for next year. In the number 25 full-time, they'll have Natalie Decker. Uh, she is, is or a late-model driver out of Wisconsin who has made seven starts for the team this year. Uh, I want to say she has a best finish of sixth, and she has yet to finish outside the top 15, I believe. Well, good for her. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with Natalie Decker. I, I want to say we we had her on the show uh, last year, I believe, when she was, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I know exactly who you mean. So good for her. And what else you got, Seth? Anything else? Uh, 
that's all I have in my notes. All right, Gray. Any final thought coming coming from you? Hope the weather holds off and we can go to Martinsville and see a good race. Absolutely, yep. And Gray, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Martinsville. I'll give you a buzz when I get there Sunday morning. I got your telephone number. I'll call you and we'll uh, we'll meet somewhere. We'll find a place to meet. Yep, I'm going to bring my uh, I'm going to bring my nephew to the race. It's his 13th birthday. Although he's got a he can't tell anybody it's his birthday because I bought him the tickets for kids 12 and under. But, uh, you know, if they give me a hard time, I'll say, well, he was 12 when I bought the ticket. So, <laughs> but uh, but it's his birthday. Well, it's it's going to be. As it is. <laughs> we need all the help we can get. Well, what are they going to do? The ticket says youth. They're going to say, hey, man, are you 12 or 13? Because 13-year-olds kids don't have driver's license. So, but. Uh, what just... day was he born? <laughs> so, uh, so, anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to, because I remember I had, a cool uncle that took me to my first race and this will be my nephew's uh first race um so I, i'm looking forward to uh uh bringing him to the race and, and let him see all the sights the sounds and the smells of uh of the race and and see if i can uh, uh turn him into a race fan for life so uh that, that's that's always fun to uh uh, you know, get a, get a young person to the racetrack because each and every one of us had had someone take take us to a racetrack when we were young and hook us on the sport. So, uh, with that being said, I want to I want to wish you guys a good night, Gray. I'll see you this weekend, Seth. Um, great talking to you, Richard. Uh, thank you for um, giving us a uh, schooling on the English language. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to have to check all the picks this year and see if you're the the winningest guy on the panel. So, <laughs> I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure you're not. So anyway, I want to thank uh, Hoobazoo. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're on Drafting the Circus. Guys, have a good night. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 